I'll invite you to ask questions or whatever you want. So feel free to ask any questions about Dhamma practice. It's like to seek people who are, seek friends among those who are, uh, have the same uh, aspiration. Like if you, like if you, we tend to uh, acquire the qualities of those that we associate with. So it's, uh, and I think we, we all, uh, you know, we, those of us who who um, are inclined to spiritual uh, goals, and we, we seek company of people who who are interested in that same thing. So it uh, is to because if you don't, then you you know you get pulled into say people who are interested in very worldly pursuits or or draw you you know pull you pull you down from from your uh, aspirations so just uh, you know also in the, in the spiritual life, there's people who have, you know, foolish people in spiritual <coughs> communities <and laughs> uh, who endlessly, uh, you know, who, who have strong views and who uh, make claims and who are critical, you know, who have very, you know, kind of divisive attitudes about others, or other religions or whatever, stay away from these kinds.
birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> Not in the Dhammapada. <laughs> no, no. Precepts is uh, is just uh, simplifying. So we uh, we don't you know you're trying to limit say your what you what those kind of things like food or sleep or whatever. And then so there's the eating uh, like for monks and nuns. So we being alms mendicants. our rule is, you know, you in in Thailand we'd go out on the alms round early in the morning and and come back and eat eat our meal and then that would we wouldn't think about food the rest of the day. Well, we wouldn't we wouldn't if we might think about it, but we wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't do anything more than that. And then um, also being alms mendicants, you aren't, uh, you know, if you dependent on others for food, then you aren't kind of constantly going into the village and pestering the lay people. So you do it all at a certain time and and it's just a way of of simplifying your life. Because, you know, householders eating how many, three times a day or there's always so much emphasis, uh, so much concern around food. Uh, And this is an opportunity to kind of simplify that. Then, then the Buddha said, uh, and all samanas are allowed to eat cheese and chocolate in the evening. (laughs) 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 What what was that in the, uh, what, what scripture? that is, um, the Buddha allowed, you see how he made, the, he, 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 uh, he, he would make a kind of standard rule and then there would be uh, ways of, of ma- so it wouldn't become too, too harsh, you know, there's, there's, there's wider margins than, than just the, the rule itself. So, um, uh, that, you know, because some people can't uh, do well or got need more than that, or you need ways of uh, taking care of people who are sick and who need who can't eat just one meal a day. So then, there are kind of substances allowed, such as sugar is allowed, honey, um, oil can be. Taken in the like olive oil, something like that, as a medicine, and uh, then there was a substance uh, that was probably something like cheese mentioned. This is controversial. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and nobody quite knows what it was, but, but this was made at a time where, like, like you, you, you could keep these for seven days, seven day substances you could keep, uh, monks uh, could keep them for seven days. So I assume probably it was cheese because you could keep that, you know, store it for seven days if you don't have refrigeration or things like that. So anyway, that's, um, it gets interpreted now as cheese. In Thailand, uh, uh, they they weren't into when I lived there. They they weren't uh, Thais didn't eat dairy products anyway. So so it wasn't any any. I mean, very seldom would we ever have cheese. But here in Europe, it's very convenient. Uh, they have very good cheese here. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's it's more you know people you, you you have to realize it's it's more like an agreed what you agree to to allow as a sangha. So so that you have ways like like um, you need. Uh, some pe- people's constitutions vary in, in what they, uh, and especially we've had a lot of problems with people who are, like, whose health isn't, aren't very healthy and, and where if you eat one big meal a day, they can't, they can't manage that, so they don't get enough nourishment. So you have, you, you can have broth, you can have, uh, we, we've allowed uh, soya milk and things like that. Ways that substances that are not, you know, really like having a meal, but are easy to obtain, and uh, can be put in that category of of a kind of medicine to help somebody who needs that kind of uh, some kind of something to help them in the evening. Chocolate is. Uh, we can't have milk chocolate, but we can have dark chocolate. But we can have cheese, which has milk in it. Uh, and this confuses people because uh, they, why why can you have eat cheese and not milk chocolate? And, and these are the you know if you want to be logical about it, it doesn't quite work that way. But this, these are more or less the agree agreements we have. Chocolate, like dark chocolate, is. Uh, is made out of uh, sugar <coughs> and and then chocolate or whatever cocoa, which is a kind of um, a berry really. So it, and fruit juices you can have in the evening or in the afternoon. So chocolate was also not not something you generally could get in Thailand. So you know, I hardly—I don't think I ever had chocolate there. But uh, here, uh, people really, you know, eager to give us these things. So we—we've had to even that kind of—we uh, try to control it a bit because it does <laughs> get get can get out of hand when people and the seminars get kind of used to 
eating chocolate and cheese in the evening every day. But also, it is a uh, these are substances that you don't want to eat all that much of. You know, you need you know very you can't eat that much cheese or chocolate without feeling sick. They, I noticed like in uh, going on our walks here in England where you're out in the cold and uh, uh, cheese is a very uh, heat it, it really gives you a lot of heat and if you're you know out walking in, in the mountains and you get cold and you and you're having to uh, say climb up something and you don't have any energy left is you take a lump of cheese and eat it and you, you really get quite warm it gives a lot of energy so you could see it as a medicinal substance in, the, in that respect it gives you know it gives you something you need it some people try to be too literal about it so so then they then you get into kind of being picky about cheese and and uh, maybe um, also some, some personalities very some some monks get very I have kind of broad interpretations of everything and others love the most narrow hard line approach you could ever imagine or take on any issue so I mean, these are character tendencies. So it's interesting to see how how different people uh, relate to these these rules. One monk, he just he just hated the idea of eating cheese and chocolate, and he he just felt, you know, he, he was really loved to make everything as hard and ascetic as 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 you could possibly do, and. Uh, so he was in India for a while and he came back came back to Thailand and he was related because he, he he thought he found the substance that was probably mentioned in the scripture that we interpret as cheese and he says not cheese not cheese you can't have cheese anymore and <laughs> and, uh, and and he said uh, you can't get the substance anymore anyway and, <laughs> and he was elated you know really <laughs> happy the the inevitable wet blanket to the zombie. <laughs> and he was so uptight that he, he it, it would have helped him if he had been relaxed and kind of munched on a lump of cheese and ate a bar of chocolate and been good help him. <laughs> He was stiff as a, he had a body posture, body language, it's like, like he was, <laughs> like all his joints were cemented. <laughs> I think so, yeah. You? Hmm? No, no, he, he's in somewhere. I, he wanders about in Asia. 
Yes, we go sometimes to Burke Hampstead. Well, it's interesting. Here uh, we go uh, mainly to Berkhamsted, and there there are people living there who uh, invite us. And so you can go walk from here to Berkhamsted, and then you get about three families that give food, and so that makes usually more than enough for a meal. And then. Yeah, they're Buddhist families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you can go what we call what is it? Uh, faith Faith Alms Rounds, Faith Bindabots. And then you stand on the high street in Berkhamsted in front of Wait Rose. And also, that can be quite prolific, can't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 The bakery, yeah. Because uh, one of the best meals I ever had was that Faith Bindabad in Burke Hampstead. <laughs> And you, start, you can't do it like Thailand, where you, you walk and, and people come running after you. You know, they please stop, I want to give you some food. Uh, and you, you have to stand and, and you, you have your, you're holding your arms ball out like this. And, and, and you have to wait around because people, uh, English people don't come running after you. See? <laughs> But it's, uh, it's quite moving, isn't it? How many people are, or people who aren't, don't know anything, aren't Buddhist, but really find the great joy in doing that, in offering. And, uh, Do they offer from the shop? They usually, they, well, they usually, once they see that you, you, you know, they aren't prepared. So that's why it's it's wise to wait around, wait Rosa Tesco's. <laughs> <laughs> May make it easy for them. <laughs> well, the bakery. <laughs> when you go on Qigong, do you, in, in your daily walking, is there um, a, a portion of the time that is just spent in practice? Um, that would be sitting practice, or is the idea, the Qigong itself, is just the walking and what you have to go through? Um, well, in Thailand, it's uh, there usually, because it's a, you know, it is a wandering tradition, basically, uh, but so that you, you know, and it's easy because every, you know, every village or wherever you go, the People know, uh, and uh, so, and you can, uh, but then you can go to various monasteries or, 
or in the forests, and you can always people will always offer food. Uh, so um, mainly, you go off to practice to or to uh, just not uh, um, just to. It's a diff- you to go live that life where you're not you don't get attached to a monastery. Uh, and in uh, here in Europe, it's um, it, it, it oftentimes a layman lay, you're accompanied by a lay layman or lay person who will uh, knows what to do. And, but uh, I've, uh, or that like when the nuns went to Devon this spring, they they walked from here down to Devon on just faith, you know, just. And they they did they had, they had really a positive view of, of you know of, of receiving alms. And um, and they did a lot of walking, you know. But but also you can, in a situation, you can stop and uh, like camp out for a few days, or mm. you see some place you can stay in, and just uh, stay there for until. The practice is the not having a place, but ha- and also the faith. Right. <laughs> and just. Uh, I mean, sometimes it, it, it isn't very, it, you know, if it's just <coughs> like a, like trying to get from this place to that, then it can be quite arduous. But, but I prefer the kind where you do kind of wander about and then spend a few days here and a few days there, and and where you you mainly practice meditation. But even when you're walking, you know, there's you. You're using your meditation, you know. You're being aware, and and it brings up, uh, you know, you get uh, tired, and you have to deal with rain and and uh, storms and and various other things. I mean, so you 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 know, you're putting yourself out on taking a risk, uh, but it it generally we all like to do it. It's quite. Up to the individual, it's not like compulsory. I love two dawn stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, miracles happen, really, kind of, you know, coincidences and. and uh, You know, it's an adventure, really. Mm-hmm. Like having an adventure. Like uh, one monk went from Mount Athos, wandered up through Macedonia and Serbia and Romania. Just Anjan Virdama went through uh, Poland and 
Lithuania and Latvia and Estonia to St. Petersburg. And it wasn't really one, it wasn't so much too long, was it? Part of it was in Latvia, yeah. And then uh, I've uh, spent two weeks in the Pyrenees one year, wandering with Ajahn Sajito. And uh, things like <laughs> And here in England, it's really good because you've got all these footpaths. So, you you know, it's very well set up for that. Uh, In Europe, I think better than the States because uh, in in every European country, you've got these kind of wanderbegs and footpaths that you can go on. Here, uh, throughout the whole island of Britain, you can you can spend most of your time just on footpaths and never have to deal with a ma- with any kind of road for very long. So you're not walking along like highways or even B roads. Most of the time, it's footpaths, and uh, so you see places you'd never see otherwise, and you meet people you know that you'd never ever meet if you didn't do this. It is uh, quite, uh, you know, it's quite amazing how many, you know, the, the kind of people you do meet in unlikely places who, you know, really interested or who were, uh, who, uh, like, like I remember one time we were walking in the Pennines in the, in the, uh, um, it was getting dusk, and we weren't sure where we were going to spend the night. We saw this farmhouse. We went, and uh, the, the layman that was with us went to ask for if we could fill our water canteens, water flasks. And uh, so the man that answered the door looked, at, and, 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 and the, the layman said, well, I'm also, I'm with two Buddhist monks. And so the man said, oh, Buddhist monks, he said, my wife and I were just talking just half an hour ago about Buddhist monks wanting to meet some. (laughs) 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 That was a remote by like uh, up in the, you know, in the northern, up in uh, Yorkshire, or no, in, in Northumberland. Well, then they, they had, uh, they, uh, we said, well, could we, uh, they invited us in, they gave us some tea and all that, and then we said, well, we'll camp out. So they let us, they, they said, we, well, we could camp out in one of their paddocks. So we went out there, but the midges, these little kind of natty mosquitoes were so ferocious that they took pity on us and invited us in to spend the night in their house, which was, uh, they just redecorated. It was an old farmhouse that they, you know, they, they were like kind of yuppie couple, so they, it was all very <laughs> smart. And we <laughs> <laughs> spent the night in a, in a kind of luxury accommodation. <laughs> Um, 
rain gear, <laughs> sleeping bag. I usually have I have a little tent, small little uh, tent that I can use. You try to keep it as down as minimal because you have to carry it. Here we use we use um, backpack. In, in Europe that we wouldn't use in Thailand. But in Thailand you don't have cold to deal with, do you? Central heating now. Well, they they decided not to to make any arrangements. Just take it as it comes. So they they didn't uh, have. Uh, they just more or less went on alms round when in the places they were at that day <coughs> that morning. Then, when when you're asking for alms, you're you're not allowed to see for that. Right. So they just sort of stand there. And stand there and look hungry. People like to feed, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who you know, really have, uh, find that joyful and, uh, you know, and they're, they're interested in what we do. And with nuns also, I think there's, it's probably, I think probably easier because it's, a st- you know, such a strange thing to see a, a, a shaven-headed woman, um, a Buddhist <coughs> nun. And so people really take in, you know, they're really curious to find out what, what are these, what are these women doing? What, why, what are they up to? <laughs> <laughs> and oftentimes you can, like uh, Christian churches, or, or can be quite simply like vicars and people like this have been quite uh, thoughtful and helpful. Because there's a, uh, and also we've stayed in uh, various uh, Christian monasteries.
So, I mean, there is a kind of a network, and then, then there are different Buddhist groups around, all over, that usually like to keep their eyes out, and you see if any, you know, if there's anyone, there's a chance to offer food, and so, uh, you know, the different Buddhist groups will, will, you know, really glad to go and prepare a meal and take it to where they think you might be walking. Or I, even when the nuns were were uh, walking to Devon, I we arranged from here. We went down in the in the minivan and with some food. <laughs> 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 Found them in, somewhere in Somerset. Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, because uh, I mean, if, if once you know how to, the right attitude, then it's uh, then there's no danger. But but uh, repression and and uh, you know, there's people different types of people have uh, you know will approach it in a different way. So, I mean, there's a lot of if you you know if you use a lot of force or or uh, or you um, overestimate yourself or you you uh, um, you know you can people will will uh, I've seen people just do get too you know get obsessed with practice and and uh, become you know have a kind of you know they'll they'll not even sleep they'll not even eat and they'll just get uh, in them, themselves into a kind of place where they their mental state is really goes you know they go quite balmy so it's uh, you know it's, uh, it is meditation itself like the way the way I teach it is isn't dangerous because it's all it's to awaken and, and observe rather than to to kind of get and strive and attain, and I, you know, I found that that that's quite da- can be dangerous. The desire to become enlightened or the to achieve a state or a, an attainment, uh, you know, it be that and that feeds the ego, and uh, then um, and that <coughs> brings up this this kind of this obsessive uh, these obsessive uh, habits. Where with uh, with the right understanding, then you're <coughs> you're aware. You know, if you tend to incline to that particular uh, thing, you you can you you know you get some perspective, and the teacher can help point this out because uh, or a guy, somebody that can guide, you know, can see that this you know stop you from doing things that are 
they're going to be quite dangerous. But once you have the, the uh, you know, understand how to practice, then our, our character tenets, we, can, we start looking at these, we start seeing our tendency to want to achieve and attain or to, uh, you know, to, to get there, you know, get it, want to get enlightened quickly or the, you know, stories even in Thailand, you know, remember visiting the, the uh, mental hospital in Ubon where Monk had, had gone crazy because he, he, he read, you know, in the suttas about the the Buddha sitting under the tree determined he wasn't going to move till he was enlightened and and so he thought he'd try that and uh, he he went crazy instead. <laughs> he wasn't ready for it. I mean, it'll take something like out of a, you know, out of context and uh, and try to, to do something as an act of will and uh, this is always dangerous. But mindfulness practices are, you know, they're, then you can, then you can, you, you know, you're, you're, you're aware of what, you, you know, you, it comes into, you're reflecting on the results of, of practice. And you become more aware of your motivations and your habits through, through meditation. Like ambition or willfulness or or uh, um, stubbornness or uh, you know conceit and overestimation or the other where you just you know you're always seeing yourself in as uh, weak or uh, failure these, these kind of some people look at themselves always through <coughs> through these perceptions as uh, they can't do it, or they, they're not good enough for their failures. So with mindfulness practice, you're actually uh, bringing these things into consciousness, not as, no longer as uh, identities, but as habits that, uh, that we, uh, you know, once we see them in the, in the, in the right way, we can let, let go of the causes for those, those kind of conditions. I'm just, uh, well, I have a sense from practice that, that, that Buddhist, sort of practice in Buddhism isn't, isn't negative. Um, but I find myself in quite a lot of discussion with Christian friends who try to make the criticism that it is. Um, and this particular, I was just slightly sort of perturbed when I read this, that, that there's a judgment in a sense, it seems, that these body parts are, are unattractive. Um, could you just, um, I, I go back and I continue this, this dialogue with these people. Um, what advice would you give around this? this uh well, like, like your internal organs are, you know, unattractive. <laughs> 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 
why should why should one judge them to be unattractive? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I mean it's not uh, it's not a, a like a judgment uh, on a put down, but generally speaking, we don't find ourselves attracted to to you know we, people are oftentimes quite repelled by just in their own blood. They are, and also as you, because like like lust, uh, sexual desire is is a kind of state where when lust takes over your mind. Your your ability to discriminate uh, goes away, so that you just see the object as as desirable. If you start discriminating and and looking at it in you know like in a different way, then your that the sense to, the the lust will will uh, doesn't arise. So uh, because you you're you're looking at not not at the at the appearance that that is attractive to to arouse lust, but you're looking at the detail which tends to not not arouse lust. So, like the the basic uh, uh, when people become uh, uh, celibates, then they have this this mantra: uh, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. And so these are the external things, but. If you know, if you contemplate these five parts of the body uh, separately in, for just what they are, then they, you know, it's you're changing your, you're seeing them in terms of uh, that that they're not, they don't arouse lust in themselves. But it's the, but when when lust arises, when you know the hair and the nails and the teeth and the skin and the eyebrows and all that, that is it, you're not you're not discriminating but the the overall effect gives you this sense of of beauty and uh, which arouses lust so it's a it's a way uh, to um to say um, develop uh, say especially with m- people who have who are easily lustful and and uh, and don't and, and then th- then their discriminative powers are usually not very highly developed because uh, the more kind of discriminative you are then uh that that in itself tends to uh you're looking at what usually what's wrong or what you don't like or, or the the you know the you you uh, you see you see you you're, you're looking at the the thing in, in terms of what you know what's the, the what isn't beautiful what isn't attractive but it's funny how negative people that have a lot of anger and are very critical like to do that practice they love you know I've seen them it's all ugly and disgusting <laughs> you know the snot in the nose and the Bits and all this. they really kind of love to to get you know uh, it's full f- you know, they get and and you know they're the ones that should develop more meta you know which isn't you know isn't uh, meta is very good if you are a very critical negative person uh, who's always you know seen what's wrong and meta helps you to 
to to uh, not you know not discriminate, not to to dwell on what's wrong, but to have a, 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 a loving kindness for everything. Uh, <coughs> you know, where, where you're not discriminating. But then this other is uh, the the asupa practices help to to uh, develop a more discriminative attitude towards the body. So it, uh, it and this uh, I found in the forest tradition in Thailand. Uh, the uh, um, is it was one of the main practices, the asupa practices for monks, because it, it's strange in the say contrasting uh, Thai uh, monks in the northeast part of Thailand with say European monks. Um, there. Uh, oftentimes they're not very well educated, and they, they're, uh, they're, they, they're tremendous. Uh, they have trem- tremendous problems with with uh, sexual desire, lust, uh, which is very immediate and very strong, uh, and where in and and they. And and they're more in touch with it. It's more, you know, it isn't it isn't kind of laid over with a lot of uh, of um, other things. Is where, say, in the, in the people that become monks, you know, Western people become monks. Usually, uh, we have we 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 have a complicated extra bit onto us. Usually. Uh, kind of neurotic needs and all kinds of things that that uh, uh, guilt or a, a strong sense of guilt about everything or 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 a, a really a, a, a personality difficulties that that oftentimes uh, we have uh, you know we 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 make everything much more complicated than it is. It's not everybody, but. The, the the in a culture where people are more like 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 uh, Thai, I noticed they were very much much more skilled in physical things. The way the the sense of their bodies and the use of their strength and their 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 uh, grace, the way they move and the and that they're much more. Uh, Aware of how to use their bodies skillfully, where where most of us were really clumsy in comparison. You know, like we just so up in the head, and we we we, we I remember uh, the custom was to dye your robes in uh, this uh, jackfruit dye. You know, you make chips out of jackfruit wood, and then you boil it up and. <clears throat> and and then you, you you make your your robes out of white cotton, and then you then you have to dye it in this. It is a natural dye. To make this dye is <clears throat> takes you know quite a long time, and uh, we had to learn how to do this. And and it was uh, you know you could see the Thai monks had no problem doing this. And they could. Uh, I remember this other monk and I were too big, you know. Um, Big American monks that that were having to make these chips off this 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 uh, 
log of jackfruit wood. And we were flailing away and, and we were just sweating and, and, and hacking away at this, this log and then getting this kind of really grubby looking chips, you know, and, and, and we were wearing ourselves out. And then this little Thai monk comes along, uh, about half the size, and he sits down and he takes the log and he, and, and he takes this, this long kind of knife, machete, and he goes, Nice row of chips fall off. (laughs) 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 Not sweating or anything. (laughs) (laughs) And the Thai monks used to say, "You, you West, you foreign monks," he said, "All all you know how to do is read books and ride in airplanes." (laughs) 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 We usually had books, and we, you know, talking about our flights and things. (laughs) This is. just on, on, you know, on uh, just cultural differences uh, and how complicated we, you know, Western men are in, 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 uh, in uh, say, contrast to, the, say, in the Northeast. Now, you, you go to Bangkok and uh, the whole education system and the, all the kind of complications are there, just like here. but. In the northeast where we lived, people were were still quite, you know, lived very simply, and their lives weren't complicated. And they they were more aware of the basic drives of a human body and human needs. But the. <laughs> These are funny things, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> but the, I mean, like, like the, the, uh, the dwelling on the asupa is like supa means the beautiful, and then the ah means a negation, the non-beautiful. But it, but oftentimes this isn't doesn't mean it's repulsive in terms of disgusting or loathsome, and, but it's oftentimes translated. They'll tra- translate asupa as the loathsomeness of the body. <clears throat> but it's not, it's not like developing uh, hatred or aversion or, you know, loathing the, the human body. But you're noticing the non-beautiful. You see, it's, it's, not, it's not a, you're not developing, you're not trying to develop a an attitude of aversion uh, uh, and hatred towards the body, because that that would be negative. But you're also, in order to get perspective, you're also instead of dwelling on what's what's beautiful, how beautiful the human body is, which arouses uh, lust. You're looking at the non-beauty of the body, so that that gives you this uh, sense of uh, of coolness dispassion, more for dispassion, not to, for aversion. And it's like like uh, going to, watching, um, we, in uh, one of the hospitals in Bangkok, they would let us go and see autopsies. They'd let monks go and watch <coughs> autopsies in the, and, and I remember one, one, uh, and, and Monday was the best time to go because 
there is a collection of you know really of really interesting corpses over the weekend. You know, the people that were murdered and whatnot in Bangkok. So you, you'd and you could uh, watch them, uh, you know, cut these corpses up. And it's interesting to just see how your mind works because there's a kind of, there's a curiosity naturally that gets you there. But actually, when you're there, uh, it's quite repulsive to see a corpse at first and and then the way they do it you know it, it's pretty um, you know they they saw the scalp you know and they pull the 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 face over like like a rubber mask they pull the face down like this and they cut this part of them there's the brain they take the brain out and then they cut the chest open and so forth and it and and you know your first impressions are really quite you know it's very uh, shocking and and you have to get used to it. Uh, but the effect of it really, rather than being, uh, is, is this passion. When I le- when I would leave the hospital uh, after seeing the autopsies. I I would feel really dispassionate, you know. There's something, your perceptions of the human body, were where you were looking at a human body and you're looking at the internal organs and 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 you were seeing it, you know, being cut open and and this and, and it and the uh, uh, the effect of it wasn't like depressing or or uh, a feeling of aversion, but dispassion. And and seeing how you know the human body is not really you know we 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 have so many ways of regarding our human bodies as being very personal and being you know we make a lot out of it and and then I remember going to cro- the hospital was across the river from the Bangkok side and then you had to cross back over into into Bangkok and there would be all these. Uh, uh, places where they sell meat, and you look at this meat hanging on hooks, and <laughs> it would have been impossible to eat meat uh, at that time, because you just seen, you know, the, the the human body is meat. You know, it's just like any other meat, and uh, but yet we. We 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 can see meat. You know, if you don't do that, you can you can see beef as as beef. <laughs> you know, you don't even call it cow. Do you? You gotta, we we use French words to make it to make not so gross. You know, <coughs> you don't eat pig. You eat pork. You know. <laughs> so. <laughs> Because uh, it sounds too, too, uh, too revolting. Eat pig and cow. <laughs> and then one time they they invited me in to see uh, the, the the man that ran the the place the autopsy room. <coughs> He said, oh, I've got something you really like now. <laughs> really, there's this special inner room where 
where they had a, a decaying corpse, and uh, and when they opened the door, just the smell was uh, blew me back a bit. You know, I was about ready to run away, and and uh, because of, uh, the putrid stench of this corpse, and, it, and then finally you walked in and you saw this is a bloated body of a of a man who they'd found in the canal, and and he'd been rotting for about six days, I think, and uh, and it had maggots coming out of his eyes, and it, it was just most uh, revolting, and, and there's just the smell and the sight was was <coughs> totally uh, revolting to 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 my senses at first, but then as I stayed and I got used to, got over the initial repulsion uh, of it. Then I started seeing how, how it was quite interesting. You could take an interest in it because you could, the decaying process is quite beautiful in its own way. You know, how nature takes, takes it back. And, uh, you know, the, the, you know, when you're think, thinking of maggots in, in your eyes or something, you're revolting. But when you see it, when you're contemplating no, no longer from the position of, uh, uh, from a personal view or from just uh, an emotion, then it's quite, quite marvelous, the decaying <coughs> process. And, uh, and I could spend, you know, I spent quite a long time uh, just uh, contemplating this, this uh, rotting human corpse until there was a strong feeling of dispassion in the mind. And that's how, you know, how you can't, your mind is, uh, you, you get the, you, you're accustomed to a certain way of perceiving and certain expectation in life, and then you get conditioned, your, your senses and your perceptual range is, is set on that, <laughs> and then it's, then seeing an autopsy, you're seeing a decaying corpse, it's challenging that whole way of looking. But once you get over the initial shock of it, then it, then it has its own. You know, it's you 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 you're, you're looking at it in terms in terms of what what it really is, rather than in terms of emotional uh, aversion. But celibate life, these are ways of, of, of contemplating, uh, because the, 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 uh, because you, you, you've decided not to, to, uh, not to engage in, in, uh, sexuality. So, but you still have this, the drive. <laughs> so how to, how to develop an awareness uh, which uh, and and wisdom around uh, you know the the uh, and an understanding so that the celibacy helps to reflect rather than is just a suppressive act of just you know just uh, you know suppressing those drives and denying them and and uh, resisting them but uh, you know celibacy as a as a way of life acts as a mirror. You know, if used mindfully, then it helps to reflect the, those, that kind of uh, those kind of energies. 
and and a lot of uh, you know in, in the human condition a lot of fantasy and sexual fantasy is around you know isn't around uh, you know it's usually you know uh, creating uh, ideal images that that uh, arouse desire and so this is also a a way of of stopping that tendency to see the body in a different way. <coughs> but its aim isn't, I mean, it would be a sick religion if we were, if we were just trying to, you know, be, develop aversion toward the human body. But, uh, but that's not what, that's not what's intended. Because uh, that you know aversion is a is a defilement, but but this passion is is a is a is a kind of equanimous is is a is a kind is a kind of equanimity. You know, the, like, um, we keep, like, eating from the alms bowl is one of them. And they have, there are 13 practices that you can, you can, uh, but they're not like vinaya. You, you can, you can choose to keep them or not. So, uh, and these help uh, in, to simplify and also to reflect on on uh, your own kind of uh, desires and but the asceticism isn't isn't an asceticism to suppress or to uh, that 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 is used to uh, you know make life uh, to kind of uh, see the world in in terms of a, a negative mind but it it really, uh, Dutonga practices uh, are simplifications, and uh, where you you're taking on a, a a way of of doing something that is uh, uh, helps you to to uh, live more simply. So where oftentimes asceticism is seen as like self-flagellation or, you know, trying to, to suppress your desires or, or punish yourself. Uh, and, uh, but the uh, asceticism and the Dutonas are not, not that kind. But they, they help you to develop patience, patient endurance, and, and to simplify Yeah, they're they're in the Visuddhimagga. <coughs> mm. 
They listen. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. It's um, often struck me how many of the great spiritual teachers of the world actually never have to cope with family responsibilities. Um, Christ, of course, never married, and um, never had girlfriends, as far as we know. Um, but of course, the Buddha was rather different in the fact that he was married, and that he did have a child, and um, that he saw this child as a fetter and left his wife and child, and the child ended up being Chris's fetter. And um, it may seem like a modern person looking back on a different thing, but it's, it's always, I've always found it rather uncomfortable, and I've always found a great irony in seeing so many women revering the Buddha and feeling, well, you know, if that was one of us, they'd be down on us like a ton of bricks. <laughs> <laughs> So, it's not meant to be a flippant remark, and it is something that I find a little uncomfortable um, that someone who I revere so much um, actually abandoned his child. Well, I mean, because that's a. Uh you know, when you look at, at the story, it, 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 what it really means is he gave, he relinquished that which he loved the most. Because, I mean, that's, it wasn't that he didn't, you know, he wasn't fed up with his wife or he didn't become a, an ascetic just to get out of a bad marriage or he was too, didn't want to be bothered uh, taking care of his child. But what that really says is, you know, to to give up what you love the most, and and that's the most would be the most difficult for anybody to to uh, leave. Like it's easy to become a monk when you've had a uh, you know when your marriage is on the rocks and and you uh, you know and you you've you've tried it all out and you think you know I, don't, I couldn't be bothered with that anymore but if is uh, very few people would ever leave a a a romantic and loving relationship to become a monk or a nun very rare because the the that would you know, that that's probably the most difficult one to give up uh, and and a child, and it wasn't like being near his because he knew that you know that also the tremendous uh, faith in the uh, in what he was doing was to the benefit of his wife and child and everybody. You see, so he you know it wasn't uh, you know one can when look at it as being irresponsible, but uh, uh, but actually in terms of of that kind of story that you get in the scriptures uh, it, it, it it you can't it isn't like a kitchen sink uh, melodrama you know put in terms of, of modern modern ways of thinking but it's more mythological and and that means that it's uh, that it's put in terms that are that are meant you know not not isn't uh, the Buddha isn't seen in terms of, you know, he is a kind of idealized figure. Prince Siddhartha is always the best 
existence, you know, in the, you know, he's a kind of super, he's presented always in terms of being the best and uh, being son of a king and being uh, very handsome and having beautiful wife and beautiful child and, and everything is, is put in terms of, of the superlative uh, side of experience, human experience. And you don't hear about Prince Siddhartha uh, ever having any kind of problem, except when he goes out you know, and sees uh, old age sickness and death and he, and he starts uh, questioning what is the meaning of life. Uh, and in the Jataka stories, I think like, like the, the one that that is um, the kind of quintessential uh, uh, tale for say for a country like Thailand, based on where the the uh, uh, Prince Vaisantara story, the last. Uh, uh, before the Buddha became the Buddha, his previous incarnation was this Prince Vaisandra where he developed, perfected the dana or generosity. And and if you try to read that story, Prince Vaisandra, from a from a Western mind, you, you you think it's just the most absurd and silly story you could imagine, because you're looking at it in terms of uh, you know of a of realism. But in terms that when you read the story, you, you have to change your kind of switch to a different mode of, of, of uh, perception because it's really, Prince Vaisantara isn't a human being, he's an ideal. And, he's, and, he's, uh, and he has incredible faith. So he has to, you know, he, he has a vow that he has to, he, he will give away whatever he has to anyone who asks, and so he's also he's a prince, and he, and he gives away. I mean, the, the the kingdom that he lived in had this auspicious white elephant, which meant that this this elephant uh, made the the kingdom that he lived in very prosperous. And they always had they never had droughts or famines, and this was due to this auspicious elephant. And then then the the Brahmins. This is in the the Brahmins are always the villains in these stories. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they come uh, from the next kingdom having a famine, and they decide, well, that's, the prince has made this vow, he will give away whatever anyone asks for. So let's go and ask him for this white elephant. So these, these wicked Brahmins go, and they say, we want your white elephant, and he gives it to them. Well, that upset the king and everybody in the kingdom, you know. Is giving away the white elephant to the to these uh, you know unwholesome Brahmins, and uh, and they're usually portrayed as kind of you know really uh, sleazy kind of men that you wouldn't give anything to if you had any sense at all. Then uh, then he gives away you know his chariot and horse and his his children and his wife and everything goes. <laughs> You know, and and you think this man is an idiot. <laughs> if you're looking at it in terms of a Western, you know, uh, realism. But I saw they in uh, they made videos of this story. Um, it's very. It takes 18 hours to see the whole thing. 
in, in, in time. It is, but I, I sat through all 18 hours of, the, of these <laughs> videos. And, uh, and at the end of the day, at the end of the days, the, uh, <laughs> you know, I, could, I just suddenly had this insight into what, what they were saying because there was something so utterly noble in, in Prince Lysantra. Somebody that had no doubts, that had, tr that had complete faith, in the, in the Dhamma, and therefore he could give away everything because of that faith, knowing that that was the right thing to do. Of course, in the end, it has a happy ending. He gets it all back. Children, wife, elephant, and the whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> and the nasty Brahmin, he gets, he, he, he's, he's a kind of comic villain, and he, he, he is full of greed and lust, and so he, he he's by this time managed to to make himself very wealthy, and he's he's living in a palace with all these beautiful wives, and they're feeding him delicious food, and he eats so much that he he explodes. <laughs> but it, it, you know, and, and you, when you look at you know, that, that it's not a story about a human being, but an ideal. And, they're, they're, and these are, that's the, the how myths operate. They're archetypes, or they're, you know, they're, they're inspirations. They're sources of inspiration. Where, say, our minds are conditioned to see things more in, 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 in what we consider realism, or being practical, or functional, or, or, or responsible. So like, uh, leaving your wife and child to to us is being irresponsible, and and uh, and we would feel uncomfortable about that. But you can't interpret it from that. You know, it doesn't doesn't make sense if you're doing it in, from that way of thinking. Because to me, what it, what is inspiring about it is is to give up to to relinquish that which you love the most in the world, which was to Siddhartha, his wife and child. And then, of course, after his enlightenment, then he, he, uh, he went to, uh, you know, he, he had something really uh, of benefit to offer his family. So... If you can resume the noble silence until...